0: Good evening, good evening. So, was a little slow and trickling in. Uh, My internal clock is definitely off, right? Because I'm not used to being daylight when we start. So, a little little taste of spring out there. Glad for it. But glad you came back uh, for tonight uh, as uh, we continue uh, through the book of Revelation. Uh, A couple things, uh, just uh, by way of announcements. One is... um, One of our members of our class here uh, had a stroke last Thursday, passed away Friday. Uh, So Bill Hargraves, a lot of you know Bill, uh, 87 years old and uh, so fascinating guy, traveled and lived all over the world. Uh, So anyway, I'll be officiating his funeral, be tomorrow night at the Brentwood campus at the chapel up there. Uh, And so it's seven o'clock. So pray for his daughter, Chelsea. Um, uh, Bill's wife, Fran, passed away just a little over a year ago. Uh, and we had her funeral here, so uh, Chelsea's had a lot, losing both parents in just a little over a year. So uh, lift them up in your prayers, and uh, any of you who know Bill know he was a, he was a good, good guy. Uh, and uh, I think pastoral care update as well, Brian, from you.
1: Yeah, um, Everett, uh, they, they had the medical transport team uh, meet David and Jenny and Everett this morning about 8 o'clock. And I, haven't heard any, I hadn't heard anything until about 8.45, we were supposed to transport him home. And I got a text about 5 till 5 that he had passed away.
0: This is the infant son yeah. of one of our deacons at the Avenue South Campus that Brian and his family have been real close to over the years. Yeah, and so. so if
1: you yeah, David's kind of like a son, he was in our Bible study for that Deuteronomy Bible study. He survived. So it says something for his character. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you keep David and Jenny in your prayers, that's tough. You know, a nine day old. That's, those are tough decisions, a, a tough time. But there's grace in everything. He got to, as, as David said in his text, he got to meet everybody they needed to meet. Mm-hmm. Right. And he and, and in his life, all and that's well love what you said earlier in his life, you know, all he knew was love right? The love of the people around him. And so that's, that's a, that's a beautiful thing, right? There's, there's, there's beautiful grace in all of this. If you can keep them in your, keep them in your prayers, I, we, I, we'd really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So it reminds me a little bit of what we were talking about last week at the end of Revelation one, you've got all of these persecuted churches dealing with difficult, difficult things. And the good news is that Jesus is where He's right there with them, right? Uh, And he's right there with these families, and he's right here with us uh, tonight. So let's pray, uh, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, uh, we do pray uh, for your spirit to comfort these grieving families and our church family. And uh, we're grateful that uh, when we look at our faith and what we believe, that uh, first of all, we serve a resurrected Savior. uh, And God, that the book of Revelation clearly shows us that the risen Jesus is standing not far away. Uh, but right amongst his people and his churches. Uh, So fathers, we pick up where we left off last week. We are grateful for that truth. And, uh, and we hold on to it. So, God, tonight, as we walk through the letters to the churches, I pray that we will be uh, both uh, challenged and comforted uh, by what Jesus has to say to them and to us. Uh, and that we'll apply it to our church and our lives. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Right before Brian jumps in, one thing I wanted to mention last week, I kind of ran out of time at the end. Uh, at the very end, in addition to Jesus, of course, standing with the seven lampstands, which represent the seven churches, uh, there is also seven angels, right? So uh, a couple of interesting interpretations, some commentators think that that represents kind of guardian angels that are assigned to each church. Um, We don't find that a lot of other places in Scripture. We definitely find angels as God's messengers. Uh, We find angels who are sent to strengthen individuals. Uh, We find uh, angels in the book of Daniel, right, that uh, have dominion uh, over uh, certain areas geographically. Uh, But uh, that's one interpretation, and, and it's definitely a valid one. But the uh, other interpretation of that is the word for angel in Greek means messenger. So there are a lot of commentators who think that those angels refer to the pastors, right? So now you have to get past the thought, right, that I'm an angel, okay, uh, to deal with that interpretation. I understand that's a big hurdle to overcome. But it's applicable because you're going to see to the angel at the church here, you know, write this. Um, and so, again, you think about John having to write in somewhat code, right, because he has people who are reading these letters as he's, they're being sent to the mainland. Uh, pretty interesting interpretation there. But uh, anyway, it's going to be interesting to see what Jesus says to the angel right? <laughs> At each of the church. each church. So pray for Brian as he leads tonight. Brian.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I was looking for wings, but <laughs> we appreciate you and everything. And if you, didn't get, if you weren't here last week, please go back and listen to the podcast. That was probably the best introduction to Revelation I've ever heard. That, that was absolutely stunning. Absolutely stunning and well, well worth your time to go listen to. And what we've been talking about, we've been going through Daniel and Ezekiel, finally got to Revelation last week, and we've been talking about prophets, right? And the prophets are given by God, the ability to see through things, right? Such as time, space, and pretense, right? To see through all the things that we put up. Right and, and see the truth about us. And that's one of the things we're going to see about these churches. That while they were persecuted, while they were in difficult circumstances, the, you know, John was very honest. right Jesus spoke very honestly to them about both their strengths and weaknesses. And so just because we're in difficult circumstances doesn't lessen our responsibilities to the truth. Doesn't lessen our responsibilities to be faithful. Now, now they make it, may make it difficult... But does not lessen our responsibility, and we, and we see that in how Jesus. We talked about the that the that the book of Revelation should be seen in worship. Right, he did a beautiful job. Right, that, that it's written in worship, that's written to worshiping churches, and it's written about who we worship. Right, it's about this whole thing is about Jesus, and that, that takes some of the mystery, some of the mystique out of it, right, and and brings us into things that are understandable for us as, as in, in our everyday in our Christ, in our everyday walk in faith. Right, that, that we can see these things. And so now we've got, we've got these, these two chapters. We're going to be in Revelation 2 and 3. And so we've got these letters to the churches. And they've all got this same structure. Right? They've got, they do a description of Christ. Right? They write to the angel, as Jay said, possibly the messenger. And, they, and they've got a description of Christ. And they're echoes of things that were said back in Revelation 1. And so he's, he's, he's paying us back to Revelation as one, to remind us of who Jesus is, to remind us of aspects of Jesus. And then it's a message to the church, right? Many of them, he says, I know your works, right? And, it, and it's a message to the church. And we'll see there are churches that, get, that have positive reinforcement in there. And there are several churches where he says, but I have this against you. Right? But, I, but I know these things. And then, and then he gives them and tells them how to come back, to, to repent to come back in, in line and then and then each one ends with a promise to the victor right to the one who conquers and and a lot of us a, a lot of a lot of times this is taught that there's a, there's an earthly victory to this and I, I don't think that's true i don't think there's an earthly when we look at the life of christ when we look at the life of the martyrs and I, and i think victory and if we can go over to, to revelation 12 12 11 um I think that's really more of the terms of victory that, that that Jesus is talking about. He says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. That that's conquering. Right? That's conquering in Christ. That's how we conquer. Right? We live in his word. We live for him. And sometimes that leads to earthly death. Most, right, it leads to suffering and persecution. Jesus said, in this world you will have many troubles. But do not be afraid because I've overcome this world. That's not what you have to worry about. That's not what you have to worry about. Um, The other thing I like is the mountain range analogy Jay has talked about. And That's particularly applicable in these churches. Because these are written to real churches in specific issues, in specific circumstances. So these these are written truly to the seven churches physical churches that existed at the time that were under John's purvey but they're also written to us they're also written to us right because we are the church right one of the, the way we pick, I picked a church in college was obviously found one with sound theology but the the sign outside the church said Ex baptist church meets here right because this is the meeting house Right, and It's a beautiful meeting. Praise God, Mr. Reed, this is a beautiful meeting house. We appreciate your design and work in getting this built, And but this is the meeting house. We are the church. So when he's writing to the churches at Asia Minor, he's not writing to buildings. He's writing to collections of believers like us. Right, And as a matter of fact, he's writing to us too. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? All right, so... The fun begins. This is, this is really great stuff. Really great stuff. Let's, let, let's read. Uh, the first church is at Ephesus. And let, let's read the scripture and then we'll come back and talk, talk about the, the city and the church and, and all this. Uh, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works your toil and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But this I have against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at, the, at first. If not, I will come, and come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Which is in the paradise of God, All right? So Ephesus was kind of the mother city of these churches. It was it was probably where the other churches were planted out of, right? We saw last week on the map, right? That this is a little this is a circle of churches in Asia Minor, right? And 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 this is kind of the home church. It's it's where the the Kaster River flows into the Aegean Sea. It's this, it's this beautiful harbor between two mountains, right? And when you when you come up, what you see is the temple to, to Artemis. When you flow in, it's, it's this magnificent temple. It's right? so one of the seven wonders of the world as you sail into this harbor. Right? And, and what's interesting about that temple, I, I found <laughs> these two things. The temple offered asylum to the lawless. So there was a flow. And there was actually so much flow of lawless people seeking asylum, they actually cordoned off part of the city as asylum. The temple also tended to be a banking center. Hmm. We won't comment on how those overlap. Sorry, just kidding. There's some of your bankers. I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, but it, it it became an economic center, right? In addition to a center for asylum, and so when we when we and Paul spent an enormous amount of time here, right? Acts nineteen and twenty, I'm written with him in him in Ephesus, and they were, the church there was faithful, right? They labored well, they endured, they'd not grown weary, they tested their teachers and identified the false. Right, they, were not, they were not personality driven. They weren't driven by these words of man but held close to the truth of God. And that's a very noble thing. That's a very important thing. Right? It's good to have right doctrine. It's a very important thing. There are lots of churches out there that do not have right doctrine. And that is a problem. Right? That is a massive problem. They also hated the work of the Nic- Nic- Nicolaitans. Um, and nobody really knows. There's not a whole lot of word, words, a whole lot of writing on who these people were. Uh, the, the first syllable of Nicolaitium is the same word we get Nike from. It's the Greek word, when it, when we, actually, when you see the word to conquer, that's also the Greek word Nike, which means the victory, the victor. And so these were perhaps people who were worldly, successful world, in worldly ways, and saying that translated to godly, godliness. Because, right, and there was, there's a lot of, in the, especially in Judaism, there's a lot of, right, you're, you're blessed by material things. And if you don't have material things, you're cursed. And so this could certainly be an outworking of that. And, and they hated the works of them. And that was, and as, as God, note they did not hate the Nicolaitans themselves. Right? It was about their works. And I think that's a very important distinction, right? It's a very important line to see the bad they abandoned the love they had at first right what was their first what's the what's our first love let's go over to mark 12:28 one of the scribes came up and heard the disputing with one another and seeing he had, Seeing that he answered them well, he being Jesus. He asked, what commandment is most important of them all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like this. That you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There There is no other commandment greater than these. So what was their first love? It was the love of God. They lost their love. In their, in their zeal to be right, they lost their love for God. Right? Because we present, the, the, the Christian, Christians present the truth in love. Right? And without either of those two things, we go apostate. Right? Because if you just do love, then you're just a sentimentalist. And if you just do truth, you're just harsh, right? brutal. But we present the truth in love. Right? Because that's the way Jesus presents it to us. In love he came down, in love he got on that cross, in love he came out of that tomb. But he was the truth. You get that one day we're going to give truth a hug, right? One day we're going to give truth a hug. People keep trying to find out what is truth, right? right? We're going to give truth a hug. And that's a different kind of truth than our world knows. And it's the kind of truth our world is looking for but it is that truth in love that's critically important. A couple quotes. in um, The New American Commentary said, Perhaps Ephesus had succeeded well in many areas, but the maintenance of that success had become more important than the motivation for service, namely the love for Christ. Uh, Wearsby says, The Ephesian believers were so busy maintaining their separation that they were neglecting adoration. I really like that labor is no substitute for love neither is purity a substitute for passion the church must have both if it is to please him right With zeal without right without right, you know, right doctrine without zeal is help is loveless right it's those clanging gongs of First Corinthians 13 it's just a bunch of noise because without love they, the people can't receive that truth without love people can't receive that truth you know, I don't want your sacrifice, I want your obedience. Right and our love for him, because it's Ephesians 6.24 that, that love's got to be pure. So what's the call? Remember who you were. Remember who you were. Right? When you first started, go back to what you did at first. Go back to when you first started these things, when you didn't get tied down into these bounds of control, these bounds, when there was that love of Christ in addition to that truth of his doctrine. Right? Remember, remember where you were. Repent. And repent and go back, right? And what what's the penalty? He will remove the lamp. You will cease to be a church. That lampstand represented being a church. And there are a lot of churches that have a building and a name that have ceased to be churches. Ceased to be churches. That's some scary stuff. Right? That's Zeke. And the Spirit of the Lord left the temple. Remember that? That's scary stuff. And there are churches that have so much worldly power that the Spirit of God can leave and you'll never know the difference they are so good at acting, so good at acting like he's there, right? that's one of the things I appreciate so much about how how we, you know, the Spirit of God is here, and we can't do the things that we do without the Spirit of God in us and working through us. It's one of the beautiful things. This church has a great chance to be an abject failure without Jesus, just how we're supposed to be, just like you and I are. Right. that lampstand goes away, and there, are, there are church buildings. There are church. Where there are gatherings of people every Sunday, where the lampstand's gone. Right, and we pray for their repentance. We pray for them to come back. Right, but what's the what's the what's the what's the reward? Right, the one who conquers. Right, that you'll be that you that you'll uh, get back over to Revelation. not right? you be granted eat of the tree of life? Right, remember that flaming sword we left in Genesis. Right, to keep you from what going back and eating of the tree of life him, waving that flaming sword he says you get the tree of life one, one of the interesting things was one of the one of the shrines for artemis was this tree-shaped shrine for worship and it was a tree that provides no life at all right because the worship of artemis can provide no life at all but see if you come to jesus you can eat of the tree of life that which that which brings life to us Isn't that unbelievable isn't that cool isn't that cool and so the question, or the question for us, and, and it's interesting to look as, as we take that. So that was their situation when, they, when we look at us. Are, are we, one, are we faithful in our doctrine? Right? Do we earnestly seek scriptures and truth? I, I hope that you see that Jay and I, as we teach, certainly Jay as he preaches, we earnestly seek the truth. We, we try to be you know, sound in everything we preach, everything we teach. That we, we strive toward those things. But do we do these things in love, even if we're successful in that? Do we still have compassion? Do we still have love? Do we still, do we still reach out to the lost and understand they're lost because they act like they're lost because they're lost? right? Instead of taking some moral high ground and looking down on people. right? It's great stuff. Great stuff. The church at Smyrna, just north of Murfreesboro. It's a different Smyrna, I'm just kidding. That big football players, though. All right. Let's read the scripture. And get back to that. And the, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Man, that's, that's, those are, that's just awesome. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those that, that, who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Man, that opening verse is awesome. Right. And to the angel in the church in Smyrna, right, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. That's a gospel in two lines, guys. It's a gospel in two lines. Right. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Right, The first, the beginning, and he was before creation and will be here long after creation has gone. When the new Jerusalem, right, and the new heaven, the new earth. Yeah, praise be to God who died and came to life. Who came here incarnate, died on that cross and rose. So that we have a chance at eternal life, right? What incredible hope to people under this kind of persecution, right? Incredible hope these kind of persecution. Um, So the city itself—it's modern-day Izmir, the third largest city in Turkey. Uh, it's, land, it's got a landlocked and protected harbor that starts at the sea and then climbs up the hill. The actual, the city, the ancient city was actually designed with, in, with architectural coherence. So that means it's from one big design. So as you watched it go up the hill, it had patterns in it. How cool is that? Right, that took some forethought. And so it's got the, these patterns in it, and they scattered temples to the Greek gods on the way up. And then up at the top was one to Zeus. And so, and so that was – and this was really – this was one of the centers of emperor worship and where you had to pay pay tribute and bow to the emperor. Uh, and and the, the Jews were exempted from that, but then the Christians weren't. We're going to get into a, a, a later city that shows in even more detail. And so the Christians suffer, suffered heavy persecution and even execution. And, and this was, as, as Jay talked about, right, this time of Domitian. And we talked about, you know, Christians being used as, as human torches. Christian, I mean, the, the, the degree of persecution was truly just beyond comprehension, beyond comprehension. And, and they were faced really with renounce Christ or be, or be tortured or be killed. And, and, and when Jesus talks about tribulations, these are serious things. These are not, you know, daily inconveniences, and, and when he talks about poverty, the Greek word there means lacking even the basic necessities. Because you couldn't even, when you, if, you, if you followed Christ, you could not even make a living. could not make a living for your family. But he says you're rich. Right? Great is your reward in heaven when you stay faithful under these persecutions. Right? Great is your reward in heaven. And the word slander is the word for Blasphemy. Blasphemy. So when they're speaking against them, it's not just some degree of not being nice. This is blasphemy against them, right? And when it talks about the temple being the synagogue of Satan, that's that's not all that descend of Israel, are of Israel, right? That's over in Romans 9, 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that, that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Right? To which we say, Amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Right? Because we are those children of promise. Because we are those children of promise. Right? But, they, but, the, but the, Jewish, the Jewish synagogue became a place of persecution. Specifically here. And what's what's interesting, right, is Jesus Jesus does not admonish them. Jesus does not admonish this church, right? He says he knows their poverty, reminds them that they're rich. He tells them not to fear. That that 10 days of tribulation, remember 10 was a complete number. It's also a finite number. He says there's a time where your tribulations will come to an end. There's time when your tribulations come to an end. And we can face almost anything, almost anything if you know it's going to end. My nephew went through buds, through seal training. And that is you can't believe the stuff they did to it, but as he said, it ended, his his seal training ended October thirty first, and he said, Uncle Brian, I know two, I know, I know something about October thir- twenty thirty first. I know one of two things. I'll be finished with buds, or I'll be dead. He said, to be honest, I'll take either option. In the middle of that train, they they did just torturous things to him, but he knew what he said. What got me through that because they started with eight thousand people, and thirty seven made it through. Okay. And, and he is, he is very, very smart. He's very, very athletic. He's, but what got him through was he said, Uncle Brian, I knew there was an end. I knew there was another side to this. And that's the hope the Lord gives to this church. As bad as all this is, as horrible as this is, and you will face death. This will get worse. Right? That was the news that they gave to David and Jenny whenever it was born. Each day brought up worse news, right? But in Christ, we have hope. In Christ, we have hope. In Christ, we have hope, right? This will end, and we will be with Jesus, right? Just be faithful, as bad as it's gonna get, as bad as it's gonna get, right? To, to him who conquers, right, the crown of life, right? The, 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 the laurel wreath, right? He will not. will not be hurt by the second death, right? So he. So if you survive, if you if you're faithful to the first death, right, you will survive. You will survive that second death. We won't come under judgment in Christ. Isn't that awesome? Awesome. Um, The church at Pergamum, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write to the words of him has who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is yet you hold fast to my name you do not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells but I have a few things against you you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality so also you have some, some of you who hold the teaching of the Nicolotians Therefore repent, if not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. A slightly different introduction for Jesus, right? Last was the gospel in two words, and this was the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword Right, that was never good to see Dad coming in, right, with the sharp two-edged sword. And he says, "I, I, I in, in, the, um, in, in the city itself, right. This was a, the, really the capital of, of emperor worship, and so hence it was Satan's throne. Um, there was a gleaming temple and altar dedicated to Zeus, that was called Zeus the Savior, right, or or or, or Zeus the God and Savior." As a matter of fact, the leader of the city was addressed as God and Savior, and in the midst of emperor worship right and this is God and Savior, this is not a good place, not a good place for the Christians to be. Uh, it was known the city itself was known for its practice of medicine and, and psychology, particularly for healing and drugs, uh, they, that people came here to be healed, that people came here for, for those healing powers uh, one of the things that really hit me in this was, was that he named a martyr Antipas. We don't know anything about Antipas. We don't know anything about Antipas. But the fact, what kind of struck me, right, was Revelation is this big, magnificent, grand thing, and he's talking to the angels of churches, and he remembers this guy, this one individual, that even in the grandiose scheme of God's plans, everybody matters. That it's still personal. That he remembers the sacrifice of Antipas. That says, even in this time, right, where where Antipas was martyred, right, that he still sees the individual. He still sees each of us. Isn't that amazing? In this grandiose vision, it's still personal, right? It's still personal. And the good, right, they held fast my name and they did not deny, deny the faith even when martyred. Right. Even, even when it meant death, they were faithful. The bad, they were holding to the teaching of Balaam. Right? We're, told, we're told in Hebrews to don't be like Balaam. Um, Balaam, we remember Balaam's story. He was back over in Numbers 22 to 24. right? And he was, uh, he was given the power that what he, he bound on earth would be in, bound in heaven. And what he loosed on earth would be loosed in heaven. Right, that's, pretty, that's pretty incredible. That's an incredible amount of power. And, they were, and the, the Israelites, and I think we've talked about this a few weeks back, but the Israelites were mowing through the Promised Land, right? and the Moabite king said, I'm going to go ask this prophet to come curse Israel. And so he came and, and, and made an offer, was rejected, right? came and doubled the offer. And, and Balaam, while God told him, you can go with him, he said, do not, do not curse what I blessed. And so we have, right, Balaam would go up to the top of a mountain and the king would say, okay, go curse Israel, and he'd bless Israel, right? And so we have the oracles, the three oracles of, of Balaam. Um, but numbers, numbers 25, that's Numbers 22 through 24, is kind of that whole story. Numbers 25, we see, we see the Israelites intermarrying with the Moabites. And that is seen on the same level of of, hypo- of sin, of hypocrisy, is the golden calf. When, when you talk to rabbis, the two great sins of Israel were the intermarriage in Moab and, and the golden calf. And if we go over to, to Numbers um, 31, 15. Moses said to them, Have you let all the women live? Behold these are On Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came down among the congregation of the Lord. So Balaam, while he never cursed Israel, he advised them on how how to get to them. How to cause them to stumble and how to sin. That's staggering. And there are people holding to his teachings, right? That they practiced sexual immorality, which was the intermarrying. And also talked about food sacrificed to idols. Now, over in, let's go back over, let's go to 1 Corinthians 8. Because right? Paul said it's okay to eat food sacrificed to idols, right? Well, yes, under, under certain circumstances, right? Kind of a a two-sided question on that, right? Because he did say we could, but he said, Now concerning food offered to idols. Convenient title for the opening sentence. We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something... He does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom through whom are all things and through whom we exist however not all possess this knowledge but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscious being weak is defiled food will not commend us to God we are no worse off if we do not eat no better off if we do but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak take care so that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And so what, what it must have happened in these churches, right, is that the eating of those, uh, the food offered to the idols was seen as worship to the idol. And they caused their brothers to stumble. We have to be careful about that, right? We have to be careful that the freedoms we exercise in God don't cause others to stumble, don't cause others to misunderstand. We have, to be, we have to be conscious of that. I don't believe God holds us conscious for things that we can't know. But he does tell us to be wise. Right? He does tell us to be wise. And so we have to be very careful with the freedom God's given us. We have to be careful what we call freedom. Right? What our culture calls freedom is more options. What the Lord calls freedom is working in God's design. Right? That, that freedom is working within God's design. Right? the Freedom for a hammer is not to become a cake mixer. Right, It's not going to be a very good cake mixer. It's a hammer. Right? Freedom for a hammer is to do what the hammer is designed to do. To work within the, the plan that was made for it. Right, It's the same thing with us. When we live according to God, we're free. Right? We're free. Does it make sense? Isn't that good stuff? Isn't that good stuff? So the call is to repent. All right, therefore repent. I'll come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. That double-edged sword will come in handy should you not repent. That's the Lord's judgment. The Lord's judgment poured out on us. That's the Lord's judgment poured out on those who do not repent, right? the consequences of judgment will come but I love this right? the one who conquers I will give some of the hidden manna I will give a white stone and a new name to the stone that no one knows except he who receives it this is a beautiful picture of community right it's scattered because think about this oppression how scattering it is right when you're taken off to prison alone right when you're tortured and Jesus says that when you persevere you'll be part of a community Right, you're a part of the pantheon of believers. That's one of the things that's so beautiful about the Lord's Supper. Right, is it's communal within, within the body, it's communal across the body, it's communal across the years. It's the same thing they were doing two thousand years ago. Right, we commune with the disciples. Right, we commune with our ch- with the children not yet born who know Christ. Right, that's what comes together in that act, and that's so cool. And Jesus says that's what this reward is, right? That you'll get a white stone with a new name. This hidden manna. You'll be part of, you're you're part of something. And don't lose sight of that. That make sense? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Hmm. The church I can't pronounce. Thyatira, pretty close that's pretty good pretty good for a redneck All right, and to the angel of the church of Thyatira write the words of the son of God who has eyes like flame of fire whose feet are like burnished bronze remember those echoes from chapter one those images beautiful and I know your works your love and faithful faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed your first how cool is that And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you at Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have done, what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my father, I will give him the morning star, He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And again, this church housed housed emperor worship the pantheon of Roman gods. Uh, It it was extremely economically well developed. And, and and, And to be part of those trade guilds, you had to worship those false gods. And so without worshiping those false gods, you had no way to make a living. No way to take care of your family. No way to feed yourself, right? And it was uh, set up as a military defense position, but constantly overrun, which kind of gets into, yeah, that's kind of sad. Yeah, some defense position, that's that's outstanding, right? And And they're good, right? They had love, faith, service, patience, endurance, their ladder works, right? Their ladder works exceeded their first. There's a faithfulness going on here, right? A faithfulness going on here. But what was their primary sin? Tolerance. Their primary sin was, ta- now wait a minute, right? Aren't we, aren't, aren't we supposed to be tolerant? Right? That's the, that's the new salvation, right? It's tolerance, right? I know when I go home and tell Rachel, I tolerate you. <laughs> She'll be happy to hear that. Yeah, that'll be the last time I enter that house. Yeah, thanks. I'll be knocking on y'all's doors to stay, right? right? What, an, what an unloving thing to say to my wife. Right, that I tolerate her. What an unloving thing to say to somebody else. Right? We do things in love. Tolerance isn't loving. Tolerance isn't loving. And their sin was tolerance. Right? They tolerated Jezebel. Remember Jezebel? Right? From kings. Right? Elijah. The prophets of Baal. Right? It was 19. Go back to First Kings 19. I love the story. The whole thing with Elijah is just, if you haven't read that recently, put that somewhere in your Bible study over the next few weeks. That's just a fab. the whole, there's so many dimensions. That's such a fabulous thing. Such a fabulous thing, right? In, in, in 19, right, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel, then Jezebel, the queen, sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life, as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow, if I don't kill you by this time tomorrow. I don't kill you by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and arose and ran from his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And this, I want you, uh, this is probably some of the most, and I realize this isn't directly, this is some of the most tender scripture written these next few verses, right? But he, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die and went in the strength that food 40 days and 40 nights to horeb the mount of god right that when when elijah when elijah was alone and desperate like under this oppression where these churches were what did god do right? he brought him something to eat and something to drink right and a few verses later he brought him a friend right? and the call of Elisha. Right? think about how hopeful that would sound to these people right because scripture echoes when they hear jezebel they remember how god treated elijah Remember that faith, that compassion, that in our worst moments, in our weakest moments, God is there amongst the lampstands. God walks among us. And he knows what we need. And he will take care of us. Right, but they, they let her reign. They let, they let her reign. He searches the heart and mind. One of the interesting things, the, the word for um, mind is more akin to kidneys, which was the seat of the emotions in Greek. And so he's basically searching, I search what you think and I search what you feel. I search what you think and I search what you feel. We have a culture led by our feelings, which is disappointing because feelings are always a reaction to something. Right? The mind is the proactive, right? the, the, the thought is proactive, the feelings are reactive. Right? And he says, I know both you're reactive and proactive. Um. That's just amazing, just amazing. And Hindu, him who conquers right, they will reign with Christ in victory. Right, they, we will reign with Christ in victory. But when we when we overcome these things, uh, when when we overcome this right, there's a, there's an imagery right that that's just just stunning, just stunning. And the morning star. Uh, a couple of let's go a couple of places. One's Daniel twelve three. It said and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And then you go over to Second Peter one nineteen. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That there's a hopefulness to it, that there's a dawn coming and a morning star. Like the New American Commentary said, the promise is then that the church at Thyatira faithful to the calling of God, will eventually receive the morning star that is the abiding, close, imminent, and eternal fellowship with the Lord himself. Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. On to Sardis. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out for the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Right in the seven spirits, right Jesus has the full report given to him. Right, he knows everything about the churches, everything about what they're doing. Um, Sardis is of military and commercial importance. It's actually a center of wool and dye trade, and it's known for its luxury and laxity. Luxury and laxity. I love those terms. Key landmarks include a famous cemetery on a thousand hills, burial mounds that could be seen as far as seven miles away. Rumored to be alive, but you were dead. Through a lack of vigilance, the city had been defeated and captured on at least two occasions. They had a, a wall along a cliff that they decided nobody could come up. And there's a, there's a story, how true it is or not, that would, there was an invading army and they were watch, looking at the cliff. And they watched and, uh, one of the guards' helmets fall off and roll down the path. And so he came down, came out the door, went down the secret path on the mountain, got his helmet, ran back up. So that's how they invaded. But they didn't post guards because they felt they were secure. That nobody could come up that way. They could never be attacked from there. Luckily, we don't get like that, right? right? That's, what we, that's what we always tell our boys. You know, the only thing between you and any sin anybody else commits is the grace of God. The only thing between you and any sin anybody else commits is the grace of God. You are fully capable. That's here, right? When you become lax, when you, don't, when you, don't, when you get arrogant and complacent and lax, that's when, that's when the attack comes, right? Sardis, this is uh, Hamilton, says, Sardis was a place known for being twice captured at precisely the place where they surpassed, where the supposed strength of the city, due to imposing precipice, made the besieging forces so confident that no guards were posted. Right, you have a reputation for being being alive but dead. Wake up. Um, yeah, secure and complacent, the city itself, this church tried to avoid Hardship instead of proclaiming Christ with wholehearted zeal right, we get complacent in our faith right? we get complacent in our faith now, it was it was really the first example of a nominal church right? a church that was just that just stood in place right? it looked like goes back to where the lampstand's gone right? You look you look like a church but you're not um, you know, Jeremiah said, right, your priests will keep doing the work of ministry, but they will never experience the presence of God until you repent. Right? The churches will keep looking like a church, even though the Spirit of God is not there. Right? Ephesians says, get up sleeper and rise from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. Pay careful attention to how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, because the days are evil. I found your works incomplete, right? The, the church isn't really being persecuted, but they're also not offending anybody. Jesus is a stumbling block or a cornerstone. He's not a good teacher. He's not a moral authority. He is a stumbling block or a cornerstone. We rarely present him that way. Right? He's a stumbling block or a cornerstone. You're either going to base your life on him or you're going to trip over him. That's how the truth works. But they didn't want, Right? They were. They had all this potential. They were a sleeping giant. Right? It says your works are not complete, but it's just it's lying dormant, not doing the Lord's work, not, not seeing what's before them, not seeing what's before them. Um, they they had a synagogue. They excavated a synagogue in Sardis that was the largest in the ancient world, it held, a, held a thousand people, and this was where Judaism right was one of the official exempted religions. But when you turned to Christ, they would erase you from the synagogue role. And so you were no longer exempt from Roman worship. And so you had to make a choice without that, ex- that exemption. do You worship Jesus or do you worship the emperor? Right, we can. And that's another handle. We can certainly, certainly understand this temptation, right? To, to to be complacent. It's all way too easy to want to stay on someone's good side. Confessing Jesus, proclaiming the gospel, is a divisive, confrontational thing to do. But we must do it. Jesus threatens terrible things. I will come against you like a thief, for not doing it. And he makes remarkable promises to those that confess his name. Right. He'll dress you in white clothes. Right, that, you, that, you will, that, that you will be and that's one of the amazing things about the battle right? when they dress for battle in Revelation when they dress in white linen right? I've seen a lot of armies in movies I've never seen one in white linen you see them right? in camouflage right? but they come in white linen because the fight's already done and they're there for the victory Because right? you dress in white linen white linen for the victory not that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? And many churches today, right, are, are, are asleep, are not watchful, right? And that's how their theology becomes complacent. That's how their love becomes complacent. That's how they become lax, right? Very, very, and it's very easy to fall into because it's, everybody wants to get along, right? You don't want your kids to be weird, Right? but if you raise your kids as faithful Christians, they're gonna be weird. Benjamin and I always used to ask Benjamin, do I embarrass you? He said, you don't embarrass me. The way you raise me embarrasses me. (laughs) He says, if we're actually faithful to Christ, we're not like anybody else. He said, that's a different life to live. I said, it's exactly right, son. It's exactly right. And I'm okay for you to be embarrassed by that. I'm okay. Philadelphia. All right. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, right, you, you love uh, you, the, you, that, that introduction, right? That he's the Holy One, the True One, unique names for our Savior. And he holds the keys, right? He holds the keys. It's ba- right back in Isaiah, it talks about Elkanah, right? Where it had the had the, the keys to the palace. He right, had the authority, it's the authority, right, to, to open and to shut. Um, Philadelphia was a gateway to the east. Uh, it was known for lots of earthquakes, and so people tended to live on the outskirts of town. When, once the town kind of falls in on you, you kind of get wise and move out from under it, falling down on you again. Um, and it was rebuilt as the little Athens because of its many temples and, and festivals. This was really the opposite of the church at Sardis, right? The church was this big impressive, impressive thing that was dead, and he says, you have little power. Right? You, you, you think you are insignificant. Right? The small, seemingly insignificant body of believers is called to go through a door of opportunity to a body of life of kingdom impact. If you are faithful with li- little, God will give you more. Right? The parable of, this, of the talents. If you're faithful with two, I'll give you two more. Faithful with five, I'll give you five. Right? That the Lord will, the Lord will, will honor your good work, even if it seems insignificant. Even if it seems insignificant. Right, we've talked about this before, right? That's one of the, uh, the head of FCA that I can't, Steve Robinson used to say, right? There are things in your life each day that seem really, really important. And a month from now, and six months from now, and a year from now, you'll never know they were there. And there are these things of God each day that seem insignificant, right? And a month from now, and six months from now, and a year from now, they make all the difference. Because the things of this world are passing away. The things of God go on forever, right? The things of this world are passing away. The things of God go on forever. These small, insignificant things, even this small church, you think you don't have power, but you have me. And that's enough, amen? You have enough because you have me. Isn't that just awesome? Um, that's just awesome. That is just awesome. Um, you know, the, the, and the gospel is, is that upside down, right? The way to live is die. The first will be last. The way up is down, right? We, we, we find our treasure losing ourselves, right? And that open door is a reference to, to opportunity and ministry. There's several places in the New Testament, Acts and, and Corinthians and Colossians, where, there's this, where there's this, these doors are open to ministry. These doors are open for opportunities for the gospel, for the opportunities to, to, for the kingdom to progress, and so these doors are open, right? Jesus does not give the church an open door as a payment in response to the service. I love this. They right, Listen to this carefully. Jesus does not give the church an open door as a payment in response to the service they rendered by keeping his word. Rather, Jesus gives them his word, which is living and active, powerful, life-giving, opportunity-creating. And when they keep it, the word of Jesus opens doors. It's not a reward for your work. It's the power of God that opens those doors. It's the power of God that opens those doors. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Right, so because of their faithfulness, Jesus made three pledges, right? Place before you an open door that no one can shut. The Jews may shut you out of the synagogue, but you will not be shut out of life. As a matter of fact, one day they will fall at your feet and realize that I loved you. One One of those days, right? And you will be kept from the hour of testing. Um, their their faithful perseverance, right? Their end will be before the tribulation. Hmm. That's just awesome. And I love, right, the promise, I will make you like a pillar in the sanctuary of God. There are two pillars in the temple um, over in 1st King, and he actually names them, right? They're Jacob, which means he establishes in Boaz, in him who strength. Not only will the door be open, you will be the pillars that hold the door open to the temple. You will be the pillars that hold the door open. While you may be small and insignificant, you will be the pillars that hold the door open to the temple. Right? In him is strength, and he establishes. In him is strength, and he establishes. That's just awesome, right? That's just awesome. So while we may feel small and insignificant, because you have heard my word and kept it i will keep i'm going to open a door for you that will lead to a worldwide impact i put you at a city at a crossroads for a reason i'm going to use you as pillars of faith and i'm going to give you a hope that can never be shaken Mm. Mm. now laodicea right our, our favorite church and to the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would you either, or Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are, you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into to him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. To he who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. That's pretty much what it says. That's pretty much what it says, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, and this this was a proud city without any water. They built a city where there wasn't any water, right? Um, it was wealthy, known for banking and its medical school. Uh, there was a Phygerian powder that was a popular eye salve that came from here, um, They were severely impacted by an earthquake in AD 61 and they refused financial aid from Rome and built themselves back out of their own treasury. Known for prized species of sheep and raised there with a high quality black glossy wool. I will clothe you in white. White. Their major issue was that lack of water supply. Hierapolis, six miles to the north, was known for its hot springs. Colossae, ten miles to the east, known for its cool springs. The Odyssey had to build an elaborate aqueduct system that is, and still, still its waters have been discovered to be afflicted with calcium carbonate content, a strong smell and bitter taste, so overwhelming that the water made people sick. Also, by the time hot water traveled six miles or cold water traveled ten miles, what was it? Lukewarm, lukewarm, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. That was the word, vomit, vomit you out of my mouth. Right, this, this is an immature, spoiled church, spoiled bride, Right? blind to the, to the condition of self-satisfaction, complacency, and indifference, immaturity. Self sufficiency. Right. This is John Stott, one of my favorites, right? Perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate to the modern church than this. It describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin deep religiosity which is so widespread today. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic. We appear to have taken a lukewarm bath in religion. Zeal, heat, Fire, passion. These are the qualities we lack today and so desperately need. Right, third, right, third world pastors pray for us. They pray for us. Right? You know, China's sending missionaries here. Africa's sending missionaries here. You know why? Right, how can they be free to love and worship and serve Jesus when weighed down with all the things of this world? say that again. How can they be free to love and worship and serve Jesus when weighed down with all the things of this world? Right, stuff is, Ravi Zacharias says stuff is congealed life. Stuff is congealed life. It stops, right, just like when you get congealing in your arteries. What happens? You have a heart attack. The blood stops flowing. Life stops flowing. Stuff is congealed life. Right. You say, I am rich. You don't, know what you, you don't know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you buy from me gold refined in the fire, white clothes. You may see, right? Jesus knows the city. Right? They're proud and self-sufficient. Right? That black wool was in style for the fashion. Right? I love that. Right? Black wool was in style. He says, I want to dress you in the white of purity and holiness. The medical school produced eye salve, yet they were blind. <laughs> right. I can make your eyes work, but I can't help you see. Right, man. Right, and, and and we rebuke. Right, even as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. We discipline our kids because we love them. Well, that's shocking. As a child, that's kind of shocking to know. Right, but it's it's for their protection. And the Lord does the same thing for us. Right. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him, have dinner with him. Meet me. Right. This is not evangelical. Right. This is to the bride. This is to the church standing and knocking for his bride to answer his bride to realize the tragedy of worldly comforts replacing communion with him at that meal's acceptance and relationship the Lord suffers fellowship with Christ right and we will sit on his throne those that conquer will rule and win heaven with Christ that awesome? Isn't that just awesome? Right? So And I I stole Jay's notes on these things. So this summary is just beautiful. He says, you know, the church and bridesmaids, right? Ephesus, make Jesus your first love, right? Smyrna, it's willing to suffer for the bridegroom, right? Pergamum, loves the truth and gospel will not compromise, right? Thyatira, won't tolerate the lack of purity. Right? Sardis awakens to per purpose and passion of sharing Christ. Philadelphia sees herself as Jesus sees her, not as insignificant, but with incredible potential to bring hope and life. And Laodicea treasures Jesus above all else. Right? Right, and like I say, what's so cool about this is it's directly applicable to the churches then, and it's directly applicable to us right now. Because we see aspects of all of these churches in us. We see aspects of all this, right? You, right the, the, the main question you walk away with is, what would Jesus say about us? What would Jesus say about us? How would he find us? What would he have against us? God, I see this in you, but this I have against you. Repent. All right. Repent and you will come to me. Isn't that awesome? awesome. Let's, let's pray. We'll, we'll, we'll do our Q&A stuff. Father God, we're thankful. Thankful for your grace. Thankful for your son that saves us. Thankful for these letters to the churches, Father. Um, open our hearts and our minds to, to, to absorb your truth and to become more like Christ. Father, do not leave us unchanged. When we encounter your truth, when we encounter Christ, Father, we should always leave different. Always leave more like him. And so, Father, make it, make us, uh, let us, uh, find us humble and faithful. It's in the precious name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Let he who has ears hear. All right. Uh, Good stuff. So a couple of things uh, before we kind of tick down some of these questions and comments, some really good comments, some really good insights. Thank you. And yes, you can uh, always feel free uh, to share insights that you have, those kind of things as well. Uh, but two words I want you to write down comfortation and comfort, right? Both of those things simultaneously. One of the things Brian and I were talking about, um, it's interesting. These churches were obviously many of them facing some severe persecution. Uh, and in our culture today, if someone was going through a hard time, we would kind of be like, ah, oh, give them a pass, right? Like they're dealing with some difficult things. Notice what Jesus does. He does comfort them. He calls out the good things that he sees. But he also loves the churches enough to confront uh, their weaknesses and to confront uh, where they're missing the mark. Uh, and, uh, and I love that mm-hmm. about him. Um, one of the, the notes that I had jotted down along the way sometime in studying this was to the churches, these are to the churches that are caught between, right, the giving and the keeping of the promise, which is still our churches today, mm-hmm. right, uh, between the now and the not yet. Do you have the faith to live like the victor, the one who overcomes, right, Nike, when it looks like you are losing. And you think about our culture today and how the church is being marginalized, right? Do we have the courage, the faith, to believe that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and our testimony, right? Even though it looks like That we're losing, that we're being pushed to the margins, that few and fewer people are coming to Christ, those kind of things. Uh, And this passage is meant to give us that kind of hope. Uh, Michael Card is a Christian artist uh, who has done an album inspired by the book of Revelation. Um, And he teaches sometimes at the Brentwood campus and other churches around. But he said this, I love this quote. He said, the overcomers are promised unique rewards because they are unique men and women. They have used imagination, heart, and mind to withstand persecution and temptation and everything else that evil hurls at them. Despite their desperate situation, they live convinced of the reality of the unseen. And by grace, they have overcome it all, right? That in each one of these churches, Jesus tells them how they can overcome. Uh, And I love, I love that. I love the personal nature of this. Uh, So uh, let's uh, talk about these comments. The most liked comment. Oh, one just, we just pulled into a dead tie. Uh, But the first one, it says, regarding the book series left behind, many authors tend to take artistic license when writing their books. Yes. How accurate or you guys are witty who ever wrote this or off the mark, get it, is this material. Okay. Uh, So well, well played there. Have asked that question. Uh, we we will of course deal with the, the different types of interpretive viewpoints on Revelation here in a couple of weeks when we get to chapters five and six. Uh, introduce that to you guys. Uh, the, the the left behind books are written from a particular paradigm that's called dispensationalism, uh, uh, premillennialism,
1: dispensational, uh,
0: dispensational yes. premillennial. Yes, dispensational. There you go, premillennialism. Yeah. I can say I no stumble yeah. on the words. So so it follows that paradigm to a T. Um, and I, it's interesting, uh, the books were intended to be, I think a book or two until they sold a bit of bajillion copies and then they stretched it into seven or eight books. So I, I think as they stretched it along, obviously they were filling in more and more gaps, uh, in the information, uh, that's, that's there. So we'll address that a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, there was a lot of artistic license taken, uh, in the, the writing of the bo- those books, which I've read all of them, um, Please repeat what the synagogue of Satan refers to or represents. Did you mention that? Did I miss that?
1: I don't, I don't know that I mentioned what it represents, okay. but
0: yeah. So in, in uh, the original, the first mention, it, uh, the Satan's throne is specifically referring to uh, the houses of emperor worship. Right. Uh, when we're talking to the church at Pergamum, uh, it's interesting, and I pulled up uh, G.K. Beale's uh, Greek New interta- International uh, Commentary uh, on uh, on the one to the church at Philadelphia, and so I'm just going to go ahead and read this because it's easier for me to read it. Uh, but that that one he argues refers to Isaiah's prophecy that the Gentiles will come and bow down before Israel and recognize Israel as God's chosen people. That comes, if you want to write it down, from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 14, Isaiah 49, 23, and Isaiah 60, 14. This Jewish hope has been turned upside down noted as the Jewish persecutors of Christians whom God will make to submit to the church. This reversal of Isaiah's language is probably a, a conscious attempt to express the irony that the submission uh, uh, that uh, unbelieving ethnic Jews hope to receive from Gentiles, they themselves will be forced to render from the church, uh, to the church, I mean. And so what's interesting there, right, is, is that it's really about faith the faithful and the faithless. Um, that, and again, they're not bowing down to the church as if they're worshiping us, but they are bending the knee to Jesus. Uh, and that's just like it says in Philippians two. And so that's the important truth that's there. Um, and so that's, uh, that's the, the take on the synagogue of, of Satan is that it's basically people who are are faithless, um, people who thought they were in, but really in reality uh, they were not because they did not acknowledge Jesus as, as Messiah. Uh, The next one, if Revelation was written during the time of Domitian, that would be about 95 AD, wouldn't that rule out a preterist or a partial preterist view? Again, we'll we'll spend some more time unpacking the different viewpoints about the timelines. The preterist view argues that most of the things that are talked about in Revelation uh, were fulfilled in the destruction of the temple uh, by the Romans, which happened in AD 70. So this writing would come after it. Now, there are some who believe this writing came in the 70s, um, but I don't think that argument is the strongest. I think it's much more stronger uh, that it came very, very late uh, in in the first century. Uh, But the view there that a preterist person would take would be, yes... What John is writing here is code about what has already taken place. Uh, There aren't very many full preterists out there, by the way. Most are partial preterists. So some would say some of the things that Revelation is referring to refer to the destruction of the temple, which has taken place, which, again, is part of the code by which John is saying, right, Uh, God is working through these cycles of history. Uh, So that would be the argument there. Uh, great observation, the promise of being made a pillar it reminds me, someone notes of First Timothy 3.15, which calls the church a pillar and a buttress of truth. Nice. Great connection nice. there. Uh, another connection is to the Old Testament. There were pillars that upheld the, the doors to the temple. Matter of fact, they were given names, if you remember, right? Uh, and so perhaps this is a reference to one or both of those references of Scripture. Uh, really, really well done. And Bob, thank you for this. Uh, Nicolaitans, which means in Greek, victory over the laity. Uh, Nicholas went the way of Balaam, as we talked about, and thought they could commit sin because they were saved. Uh, So that's one of the, if you connect the dots there between uh, who the Nicolaitans might be, obviously they were false teachers. um, And that might point to what their heresy was. Uh, which would be the same heresy that exists in the church today in the form of, quote, once saved, always saved, uh, in that we use that as an excuse to do what we want uh, and cheapen grace, right? We believe in perseverance of the saints, um, but not then as, so as license to go do what we want to do. Uh, so uh, really, really good insight there. Um, if, uh, okay, there was the, the revelation was bouncing around a little bit. Uh, there was one more, I think, here. Oh, practical application from these letters. Um, I I think Brian hit at it. I, I think first of all, it's to ask the question, what would Jesus say to our churches today? Um, and therefore say to us, right. Since we are, are the church. Uh, and I think it's interesting, right. To, to go through these and to notice how personal Jesus is, uh, with each and every church and how well he knows his church. Uh, and so the idea that, um, you know, that the church belongs to him, this is still his church is vitally, vitally important. Um, and I love, I love the way that Jesus is unique. And like I said, he encourages and strengthens, uh, and comforts the churches. And yet at the same time, he's not afraid to challenge and confront, uh, the things that aren't healthy there. Uh, so it's a lead into some really, really great conversation, um, just a personal note that's fun for me, uh, several things in this passage, I love to, to stick out. The uh, the idea of give being given a new name, a new identity, uh, and known to God, Uh, that was the inspiration when C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, of which you guys know I'm a huge fan. For the names given to the four Pevensey children: Peter the Great, Edmund the Just. Susan, uh, the, uh, the loving, I think it was, and Lucy, uh, who is the brave. And so it, that was a hint, right? That God knows ultimately our true identity and what he created us to do. Uh, and so the, the promise that one day in heaven, right, we will know that name that he gave to us in full, uh, is a fun little hint to me, uh, of the fact that you realize that we were made to do something, uh, in eternity, that we're not going to be sitting around floating around on a cloud playing a harp, Right. Uh, and right now when you feel the most fulfilled and you feel like, man, that was, that was incredible. I felt God used me, right? That's a little foretaste of what's to come. Uh, and that is a beautiful thing that God designed us to glorify him, each of us in a unique way. Uh, and that Lewis and others right believe that this is a hint uh, that we have a name that right now is only known to God but that he will reveal to us in the fullness of eternity. Um, that is really, really encouraging. So good stuff. All right. Well, we are uh, we're at our time. Remember that next week uh, we won't gather. It's Williamson County spring break, and so we'll kind of take a breather. A lot of our families will be out of town. And then uh, we will come back the following week and look at uh, the throne in Revelation 4 and get into Revelation 5. All right. Let me say a quick word of prayer and dismiss us tonight. Father, thank you. Uh, Thank you for the letters to the churches and that you are standing with your churches then and now, uh, God. And with every church in history, it just blows and boggles our mind. Uh, And yet at the same time that you know us so intimately, that you know uh, members who give of their lives for your sake by name, uh, that, uh, Father, you know our strengths and our weaknesses. And so, Father, we want to be faithful uh, to respond to Jesus. And we want to listen carefully in these words to the churches, God, for uh, signals and signs and um, and God truths that we need to apply to our church in the here and now. Uh, So, Father, I pray that we walk away tonight encouraged. Uh, And at the same time, God, very aware of your presence with us. So, Father, thank you that you both love and confront us, that you give us your grace and truth, uh, and that you are a God who is both loving and just. So, Father, thank you uh, for this time together. Bring us back together in a couple of weeks. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.